Hey, everybody. I know you have been waiting anxiously to hear the first After Class podcast, uh, and it is finally here. My guest for the first episode is Tom Benlach, and he is a senior lecturer in marketing at CAS, and he's one of my professors, so I thought he would be a good person to start with, and he has some very interesting research that we get into during the podcast. He studies storytelling, consumer behavior, and everything digital. Uh, he's had his work published in many different journals, uh, including the Journal of Consumer Research, Journal of Management, Information Systems, the International Journal of Research and Marketing, and the Journal of Business Ethics. He was previously an assistant professor at Europe's Business School and a visiting scholar at the Universities of Sydney and New South Wales in Australia. He holds a PhD in marketing and is uh, very interesting and uh, actually got a lot out of this podcast myself, so I hope everyone else does too. Please subscribe and share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Uh, I would really appreciate it. And without further ado, uh, please welcome my guest, Tom Benla. I am here with Tom Van Lach. Yeah. Is that close enough? Close All right, en- close enough. I'll so, do it. Um, so I guess just to start, uh, if you wanted to maybe do just talk about what you do a little bit, just like briefly. I know what I do as a researcher? Yeah, yeah, or like stuff that you're interested in, this stuff. Uh, so basically I focus, so my background is in the arts. I, mm-hmm. I only went to the dark side of business <laughs> at a later age. <laughs> Uh, so my background is in the arts, and there I was mostly focused on. Well, I mean, I was I was taught how to write mm-hmm. uh, novels, uh, things like that. I was not a good writer, clearly, <laughs> because I wouldn't be here if I were. Well, you speak like four languages, right? Five, <laughs> five. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that 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 sounds like a lot uh, for Dutch people. That's actually not that extreme. Uh, okay. um, the Netherlands are in a place in the world that is surrounded by really big countries. Oh right. <laughs> and nobody speaks yeah. Dutch, so you kind of learn four languages. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, languages has always been my thing, and um, I kind of got really interested in what fiction does and how fiction changes people. So uh, my research has always been around that idea that fiction, stuff that is actually fake, uh, changes things in the real world mm. and under what condition that actually happens. And then, um, well, I was working in PR, and then after a while I basically got uh, asked if I wanted to do a PhD. And that was around the time that the internet started to become a big deal. I mean, the internet was there already about 10 years or so, but by that time, it, uh, the web 2.0, the social media started to come up. And basically, companies were like, well, this is a disaster. All of a sudden, com- consumers are talking to each other. Obviously, the message is they were always talking yeah. to each other. You just didn't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the, the idea was, well, can we figure out what is going on here? Can we analyze that? And what we then realized uh, is that a lot of what you see when consumers talk online is actually people just exchanging stories. It's just mm. you know a big gossip machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you approach it from theories from storytelling and narratology, if you approach it from that perspective, you actually can analyze it, you can influence it, you can deal with complaints much better, all those things. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so you, uh, you gave me a paper... To kind of look at that one, that I think are you you're 
working on it now, or you, you, it's pretty much done? You've just like submitted it. Uh, that one is still under revision, so okay. it's not yet published. Okay, but I, I mean, it was I I really liked it because I was. It's kind of like what you were talking about that it's really people talking to each other, um, but not uh, you know not directly. So the so the paper I think a quick summary and you can correct me if I'm wrong is basically that you found that reviews for online um, experience uh, products uh, you know like you know plays and you know trips and uh, and stuff like that that if you have a narrative base for the reviews those reviews are seen as more helpful and reviewed more positively um, and you would kind of uh, you showed that it, it had already been shown that the this is true with uh, regular products and uh, already, but you wanted to see if it was true for experiential products. So, um, I I kind of wanted to know how would you how would you put this into use if this is something that's being generated by the consumer that's underneath. So underneath, so in this case, you went on to TripAdvisor and the reviews for different uh, trips and stuff that uh, if this is being generated by the consumer, then how would the you know a marketer deal with that yeah. well so it's uh, first of all it's not only um, that a narrative review uh, is perceived to be more helpful than a non-narrative review but uh, we went one step further and we actually tried to develop sort of a, a recipe um, an algorithm technically but uh, it's kind of a recipe of what makes a narrative more narrative so if oh, you actually okay. start seeing narrative not as a, a thing that is or is not but if you start mm -hmm. seeing it as as like temperature you know, like a variable. Yeah. So can you have a higher temperature of narrative and a lower mm -hmm. temperature of narrative? And we actually see that the more a, a review is a narrative, the more narrative elements are in there, the more helpful it is. Mm. Um, so basically we try to, well, I mean, the metaphor of a recipe works quite well. We try to find the ingredients that people use mostly subconsciously. I mean, we also interviewed, that's not in that paper, but we also interviewed some uh, some reviewers, people that write a lot of travel reviews. Mm -hmm. there's, there's people that do that uh, uh, for um, So basically, we, we actually interviewed them, and if you ask them, so, so how do you do this? Why do you write it that way? It's like, well, you know, I just, I just write. I just huh. do. Yeah. Uh, they don't realize, I mean, it's, it's kind of subconscious, but they don't realize why they're doing it. But the most successful ones basically use uh, all kinds of tools, uh, all kinds of elements that they have learned themselves, or, or that they haven't learned um, you know, consciously in, in school or whatever, but almost by osmosis. Mm -hmm. But these are elements that are or have already been there for, for ages. You know, basically the same elements are used by Shakespeare to write his place obviously it's a different mm -hmm. level and one is high culture and the other one's popular culture maybe but uh, it's it's just interesting to see that stuff that actually comes out of the arts stuff that mm -hmm. comes out of the humanities is subconsciously used by reviewers writing on TripAdvisor yeah yeah so the one of the uh, kind of I guess theories that you talked about kind of in the review section was the was Burke's uh, dramatistic pentad yeah. which I'm probably going to botch this but basically it's you have the agent agency scene uh, the action and purpose which is who who did it how did they do it where and when did they do it what did they do and why did they do it um, and so basically Burke says that the drama comes out of uh, two or more of those not being in alignment mm -hmm. with each other um, so I was wondering if you 
you know wholly agree with that, or if there you've seen exceptions to that anywhere? Um, so it, it's interesting you mentioned that one because we actually did not, and that's probably because of the context. What I'm going to say now, but uh, we did not find support for for the Burkean pentad straight away. Um, it's interesting how it works. So the, the Burkean pentad basically says, look, a story has to have all five elements. I guess most people kind of agree with that. You, know, you need all these elements to actually have the minimum of a story. But they need to be misaligned to actually have some sort of drama, some sort of engaging story. Now, a simple example would be, okay, the, the butler serves the drink to the um, lord because the lord is thirsty, right? right. Has all the elements, as purpose, action, mm -hmm. everything. It's a boring story. Mm -hmm. you know, that's, and it happens in the castle, so we also have a scene. Now, it's a very boring story, but uh, if you change a few elements and you say the butler uh, uh, hit the lord over the head with the glass and killed him in the castle, mm -hmm. obviously, all of a sudden, there's drama because that's not in the job description of a butler right. to do such stuff. Um, now that is one of those things that works quite well in, in drama, like novels and things like that. We did not find any support for that in uh, reviews, and I think that has to do with the, the social media context. Yeah. You know, that level of um, of drama might be a bit much. Yeah, <laughs> you know, people for... would be like, that's not really <laughs> helpful. That's just confusing. Yeah, yeah. the murder on vacation. Yeah, that's yeah over exactly. Be more worried about what happened to the person. Exactly. Right. So uh, we, did, we did do some follow-up studies on that because that was a bit of a... Well, it was the only real narrative element that does not copy over mm -hmm. into, into things like social media. Uh, so we did some follow-up stuff, and what we did find is that if you change the order, so not so much the elements per se that are misaligned, but if you change the order in which the story is told, then you can actually find this drama again. Mm -hmm. um, so it's uh, on social media, it's not so much uh, are there any elements misaligned, like you know the, the murder mystery kind of stuff, but more... Are the elements actually told in a boring order, in a in an engaging order? Mm -hmm. So, like, if you chose to not do it chronologically, but jumped around in a exactly. way, then, exactly. then that might create more helpful reviews. Yeah. Like that. Okay. yeah, because it's more engaging. Yeah. So, um, for this, that I I don't remember. It was something like nine hundred thousand. Uh, points that that you data mined. It might be a bit much. I think it was one hundred and ninety thousand. Oh, okay. All right. I got the nine hundred thousand. Even our computers. <laughs> okay. Get All right. Slower. Yeah. So I was but wondering. Yeah, yeah. So it was big data. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very big data. I guess. Uh, so. Uh, I was just wondering because I was looking at all these different, you know, all these calculations that you had done and the different uh, methods for analyzing what something is kind of subjective as a narrative and then quantifying it. So I was wondering in this case, how do you go about choosing uh, the method for, for mining these? Uh, <laughs> well, for, there's, there's two things, right? There's the mining and there's the analysis. Okay. So the, well, how to mine it, um, basically we got access to every single review ever written about Las Vegas oh, okay. <laughs> in, on TripAdvisor. And mm -hmm. that happened to be close to 200,000 reviews. So that's, uh -huh. that was our data set. And we could pass it through, um, well, basically through coding. Uh, it's not that complex. It just uh -huh. requires a little bit of understanding of, of SQL. Um, and it requires some pretty powerful computers yeah <laughs> but this stuff is public you know that's mm -hmm. the thing you know you don't we didn't hack into anything it's just a public website all that stuff is there yeah um 
what we when it comes to actually analyzing it, um, we just well we just we basically took the the literature on writing you know writing good stories, writing engaging novels, all of that stuff, and and I mean that's that's kind of what I do and what I know. So every single theory or every single tool that is taught in the humanities, we took all of them. Mm. And we said, okay, this is what we what we think should be there. These mm. elements should be there if there is indeed some sort of truth to it that narrative uh, reviews are more helpful than others, right? Mm. You would find these elements. And then we started thinking, okay, so how do we find that? Well, there's one, for instance, called, with a fancy term, the landscape of effective consciousness, which is the idea that you to show a character in a story you show that this character uh, experiences something feels something and then acts on what he just felt mm. right? and the same with thinking and all that so we're like well if you break that down and that's basic, that's just you know debating within the review t- within the research team um, how can we how can we do that so we tried a couple of things in the end what's in the paper is the things that worked um, but basically, if you if you break it down, you're like, well, so what do we need to see here? Well, we need to see that there is some sort of action, there's some sort of motion, there's some sort of event. After that, we need to see that there is some sort of a feeling. You know, you need to see evidence that somebody feels something. And after that, you see another action, but this time by the character. So if that's the three things, now then we need to just run. Well, they call it dictionaries. It's it's a bit of a bad word because technically these are thesaurus. They're mm-hmm. collections of, th- of thesaurus. They're collections of synonyms. So, and those things exist. They're developed in psycholinguistics. They've been developed since the, well, the end of the 90s, more or less. And it's basically every word has around it a couple of other words that are, that are close to it. Right? Mm. Not, not one-on-one synonyms, but things that kind of express the same idea. Um, you know, uh, if you have, if you're looking for things like action, then hey, words like act, motion, uh, do, go, uh-huh. those things express that concept. So for all kinds of concepts like action, like feeling, there's an entire thesaurus with all the words in the English language that express feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, you can then start seeing, okay, well, we have, all, we need, we need a thesaurus for action, we need a thesaurus for feeling, we need a, the same thesaurus for action again. Can we actually then start seeing, okay, this one flares up and is followed by that one and is followed by the third one. In that case, we actually have this sequence and then we count that as one. So so we then program uh, an algorithm to actually start seeing, okay, do we see these sequences? And if we do, then we count that as a one for that text. If we don't, we count it as a zero. Uh, that you do, you run it through all those texts, those 200,000 texts, and then you relate it, which is a little bit more complex, but looks a lot like a correlation analysis mm. between, okay, how many times did it actually appear, right? The, the landscape of consciousness, and how many times did we actually see the helpfulness? Is there a correlation between those two? Oh, okay. So, you, so it, it, it's not always there, but if you're able no. to see the correlation, then you're... Yeah, then I mean, it's definitely not always there, but you want to see, okay, is there a direction? So mm-hmm. uh, it's not like this has to be there to be helpful. It's more yeah. like the more of this there is, the more helpful it is. Mm-hmm. And for each correlation, we find values. So for all of those narrative elements that we have, we actually find values. And we now have a recipe which sort of says, well, uh, if you put you know, uh, 
two bits of this and then one bit of that and a little bit of that and a little bit of that and a little bit of that, then you get the ultimate helpful review. Okay. I see. All right. Um, so I just want to kind of go a little broader into more storytelling stuff because that's mm. kind of your, your, one of your things. Um, so just wondering if you could talk about uh, why it's so important in marketing and how some people get it wrong <laughs> or if there's ways people get it wrong more often. Uh, which people are those? The uh, marketers, I guess, right. people who right. are trying to tell the story of their brand or their, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, why is it so important? Basically, if you if you boil it down to what marketing is, it is um, trying to bring a company which has certain ideas and interests and all that, and a consumer who has different ideas and different needs and things like that, to bring them together. Right mm -hmm. now. In marketing, we kind of believe that in the end, you know, customers king, right? The consumer uh, keeps you in business. You need to figure out what the consumer wants, then they're actually willing to pay you some money instead of some other, some other guy. Now, to understand who this consumer is, uh, you need to understand what they think. I mean, there's all kinds of tools to figure that out. But now, especially because of this change in, in, um, in, in technology, because of this change of the internet, those consumers are not just silently sitting there. They're communicating themselves. And, I mean, consumers, that's the word we use for human beings. And human beings have always been uh, predisposed to actually communicate in a story way. They, you know, we don't communicate with, with numbers. You know, that's not how you talk. You <laughs> talk like, oh, this guy did that thing. You know, that's how we talk. So that's natural. So what you see is consumers actually talk in that way, which is why if you want to introduce your company or your products or your service or whatever it is to those consumers it just gels a lot better if you do that in a story way as well because you're kind of talking in the same way yeah yeah it's, uh, we were we actually in uh, Mary's class today we were looking at the, the this Chrysler ad with Eminem mm. in Detroit and uh, we were talking about the kind of the story them using the story of Detroit and the you know the steel and all that that it was different than a your you know a car ad where they're just showing pictures of the car and saying it has this mileage this number and stuff yeah, and yeah, so yeah. i like to me it seems like the having a story behind it it, it makes it you know makes me connect to a, a car much more than the other ads that basically just tell me what all the numbers and stuff yeah, are so it's, it, and and it's it's interesting you say connects because you know that's what it is it it basically gives you something to remember Right? Yeah. A story is something you can remember. Mm -hmm. um, a car that uh, has certain mileage, I mean, the actual number, you will have forgotten it after that commercial <laughs> yeah. has ended already. You know? yeah. so that's just not something that is alive. Um, images are things that people remember. Images mm -hmm. are part of stories. Um, yeah. Uh, that's, and, and that's exactly what a lot of marketers get wrong to get to that bit of your question. Um, marketers, and it's not you know, it's nobody's mm -hmm. fault, is that business schools for a very long time have been very much focused on we got to get these people to understand numbers you know a lot mm -hmm. a big part of business is about numbers you got to show that you're you know that you're supposed to be there mm -hmm. right so you show that by showing big spreadsheets of all kinds of stuff and there's nothing wrong with that but it's almost like it's gone a little bit overboard um, and marketers are kind of in this uncomfortable position where you have to combine numbers with a certain creativity. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And for, for a long time in business schools, there's been so much attention for the numbers bit that marketers find it hard to let that go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was wondering how, like, using kind of the same elements of storytelling, how could some, you know, a lot of us here, you know, trying to get jobs and internships and stuff, and that, that whole process is, you know, kind of long, but how, how could you use these elements, not, maybe not in an interview, but use as kind of like branding yourself to get yourself out there rather than saying, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this, mm. but actually using those elements to... I would, I would not say, you say maybe not an interview. I think that's exactly the place. Okay, exactly. <laughs> I mean, not only there, but sure. There, there is now this whole thing about branding yourself, right? Mm. And I, I, I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but that's the way the world is going. Um, but it, there is there is truth value to that. Like, you know, you can see your own life as a story. You can mm. you can edit things out. Yes. <laughs> you know, there <laughs> are we, we all have things in <laughs> we all have skeletons in our closets that mm -hmm. we might not want to mention so much. Yeah. So if you think of your own storyline, your own story, your own life, you know what are the significant events that led you to where you currently are? Why are you interested in this aspect of business or marketing instead of that aspect? And that comes from somewhere. Not, well, you know, because I am, because everybody should be, because this is now the big thing. So we all need to understand, I don't know, what the latest fad is. Mm -hmm. um, but more, well, you know, I was really inspired uh, because I, I did this internship there or uh, already from a young age, I had my own little company where I was trying things out. Or, um, you know, I completely failed at something. And because mm -hmm. of that, I learned why I should actually be doing something else. You know, that is that is a normal mm -hmm. way of communication. And I would say you can do that in interviews. You can do that by profiling yourself on, on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. Um, uh, so I guess another thing that I found interesting that we've gone more in detail in this class is the comedy and tragedy curves mm. where you have a, I want to make sure I get this right, that the tragedy... Uh, that's, tra that's the comedy. So yeah, the comedy, comedy is like yeah. a U, and then yeah. tragedy is kind of a, a, an A without a... Yeah, an in, inverse U. Inverse U, yeah. yes. We'll go, <laughs> that seems more technical. So uh, I, I guess, uh, what, I, I mean, does it, it doesn't always stick to that, but if it, but in general, if I think about any comedy I've seen or any drama I've seen it it seems to follow that which I'd never thought about before that you know in a comedy you're starting out with somebody being pretty well off doing you know doing well and then they go into this, this problem that they have to solve and then it comes out and it's fine at the other mm -hmm. end which it seems like you could if could you also do that with a, a drama though because you could have something that's just not very funny that goes into a you know, somebody starts out well, but then they have a serious problem, and then they come out on the other end. Oh, better. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, I see the confusion. So, yeah, I mean, the, the way, by the way, the way I always remember what is the comedy and the tragedy, because mm -hmm. I also mess them up sometimes, is basically, I think of a smile, oh, right? Okay. So that's a U shape, okay. and I think of a frown, which is then the inverse U shape. So oh, that's okay. the tragedy. I mean, yeah, an easy trick that I tend to use. Mm -hmm. um, so comedy... Um, sorry that didn't come across but comedy is not necessarily funny oh, so okay. so that's how we now see comedy and definitely all the all the funny ones do that right it mm -hmm. starts happy then something crazy happens and then happy again um, 
but but I mean that's kind of the humor way of doing that shape. But yes, it definitely works also with drama, um, and the comedy as a term actually comes way, from way back from Aristotle, who basically doesn't he didn't see um, comedy the way we see comedy. He mm. said, well, comedy, comedia, uh, is a type of story that indeed things are okay. Some drama happens uh-huh. and things end up okay. That can be laughable, can be funny, but doesn't have to be. So, oh, yeah, okay. absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I see. We're going to just move on to some more general stuff, some kind of the stuff I, I hope to kind of ask everybody. But uh, especially with this one, how do you decide if uh, a research topic is worth pursuing? Yeah, I saw that question. Yeah. Um, so um, how do you decide on a research topic? It's basically you you start, and, and this is, you know, it's, it's not the most analytical proj- project yeah. or something. It's not like we do a SWOT analysis <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. But, you, but you basically start seeing a certain topic uh, over and over and over. Oh. So definitely, you know, that's, that's biased. There's a, there's a colored effect there because yeah. you start seeing it because you're already interested in it, right? So mm-hmm. it's sort of a mere exposure effect on some level. But it is really uh, something like that. Like... Uh, and that's especially when you're in the beginning of a research career. That's something that you you kind of you shop around for IDs, and after a while, you start you know certain IDs keep coming up uh, in the media, in conversations with people, uh, on the internet, uh, places like that. And in those cases, yes, then you think, okay, maybe this thing has legs. Um, nowadays, so if, if you've been around uh, the academic world for long enough. Um, I drown in the topics. <laughs> There's too many, and I do not have the capacity to actually do all of them. That's because I'm in the lucky situation that what I'm doing, uh, you know, becomes bigger. Uh, people find it interesting. Uh, companies are interested in it. Consumers are interested in it. Government is interested in it. So they all come with different angles, and they they kind of come to me almost. Uh-huh. So now it's more like selecting from a set of op- options which one is has the most uh, potential, and that then comes down to, well, uh, again, you know, uh, do people actually care? Yeah. You know, does anybody care about this? Because if not, why should I do this? Like, yeah. uh, you know, I don't do research for myself. I do mm-hmm. it for other people, for the world uh, at large, if if that's the thing. Um, and uh, you also kind of look a little bit as okay, so so who's the team? Uh-huh. Are these people because these are long projects? Yeah. Most of our research projects are years. So are these people that I can stand yeah. <laughs> for long enough uh, yeah, for years? For this one, you had to go pretty far to find the. Yeah, yeah, the no, definitely. Like this project, we well, so um, there's there's a co-author in um, uh, at Vanderbilt University. Uh, I have a co-author at Surrey and a co-author in Delft in the Netherlands. Uh-huh. Um, and this project has been going since 2014, 2015. So it's, it's mm-hmm. by now like two, two, yeah. three years. Uh, yeah, you kind of, and, and there's some, there's hard moments. There's moments yeah. that things do not work. <laughs> At those moments, you need a good team. You, you yeah. need some people that help pick everything up and not yeah. people that take each other down. So yeah, the, the the actual people in the team also make a huge difference. Yeah, so if you're, you know, do you usually go by, you know, I, I've worked with these people before, or do you? Uh, does it depend on the topic? Like, I need to find somebody that can really knows this to be a part of this paper. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of both. It's a mm-hmm. bit of both. So there's always, uh, or at least, you know, in my, in my projects, I always have like a technical person, 
Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you kind of want to make sure that all the technical stuff is just covered. Like yeah. you, you got this. You know, mm -hmm. I, I know my things, uh, but I wouldn't consider myself uh, an absolute, uh, you know, rock star when it comes to analysis. So I make sure that, I mean, I understand everything, but I make sure I got some guy uh, or girl like who's a total geek for this stuff, you know, uh -huh. who loves to program, who loves to do the statistics, who tries out a thousand different ways of finding the same thing, so you know for sure that this is a really robust result. You, you always want to have one of those, mm -hmm. right? Now, that really depends on what kind of project you're doing, what kind of expert you need in terms of analysis and things mm -hmm. like that. Like this was heavily on the text analysis. Now Stefan, he's a world star when it comes to automated automated text analysis. Mm -hmm. That's his thing. So he was he was, you know, the go to guy for that. Yeah. Beyond that, you want people that, you know, can sort of add to your own theorizing. I don't need mm -hmm. a copy of myself. Yeah. I got myself for that, right? So I need somebody who thinks a little bit away from me sometimes uh, you know especially with Alice Alice sometimes thinks the opposite of me that's uh -huh. great because that way you know you need to challenge yourself you, you don't want a lot of people at all are like yeah, yeah, yeah we all have the same <laughs> yeah. idea that way you never get anywhere right so yeah. you want you want a bit of a, a a bit of a challenge in the team you know? okay. cool um, so uh, also I was I, I always I love I, I read all the time so I was just wondering if you had any recommendations for marketing books that aren't uh, you know textbooks just kind of yeah. Uh, I guess they'd be business books or something. Yeah. Well, I, I saw that and I was thinking, and I'm like, you know, you know what? <laughs> I, I'm just gonna come with a cheeky answer. Um, don't read <laughs> marketing <laughs> okay. books. Don't, don't 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 read. I didn't say that. I didn't uh -huh. say that. You definitely should read. But um, some of the best ideas, uh, either for research or for for marketing innovation, especially don't come from marketing business books mm -hmm. read science fiction novels oh, okay. <laughs> I know this sounds weird but really uh, if you look at most of the devices that we use now uh -huh. they all come out of science fiction books right most of the guys and girls that invented them basically first read about them in you know comic books uh, Star uh -huh. Trek Star Wars huh. all of that stuff simply because you know novelists tend to be so far ahead uh, it, because they can, right? They don't have to make a business plan to yeah. write a book. They, well, maybe to write a book nowadays, <laughs> but to write, to get an ID, to get a story ID, they just, you know, mm -hmm. invent. Like they imagine right. all kinds of worlds and things. Now, because of that, uh, they are way beyond uh, some of people that are in, in, in innovation in business because mm -hmm. they can't think, they, they don't have to build a prototype. They can just think it off. They can, they can write this whole book about it and that reading that kind of stuff that sometimes gives you the best ideas for um, for marketing for research for all those things so uh, yeah I mean just recently I read I reread for the second time uh, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley oh, it's a book okay. from the 1930s it's yeah. an oldie but if you open that thing you're like wait a minute that was in the 1930s when there was pretty much TV didn't even exist yeah. right I mean very limited um when you read some of that stuff in that book, you're like, that's actually happening right now. Yeah. Like, we're, we're in it. <laughs> yeah. So these guys are 80 years in the future, more or less, when they're writing uh -huh. some of those books. So, yeah, I would say... So go with the... Do you have any other, like, I guess, science fiction ones that you, like, that uh, are so, your favorite? Or? Uh, some favorites. I mean, 
So, I mean, movies, uh, for movies, I would say, well, you know, Star Wars is trying to push the envelope. They're not super successful at the moment, but they're mm -hmm. doing some stuff. Um, so, Aldous Huxley, uh, Brave New World, uh, a bit more dystopian, uh, but very interesting. George Orwell's uh, 1984. Mm -hmm. um, lately, there's been a whole lot of uh, young adult dystopian fiction. So, you've had The Hunger Games, you've had Divergent. Mm. Uh, all those books are yeah. interesting because they're kind of thought experiments of yeah. what a world could look like and very mm -hmm. often yeah it's it's like bad worlds dystopia yeah but that would that can give you the 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 idea of okay so what could i invent to prevent that from happening yeah, yeah and i feel like that kind of the especially with you know like 1984 or something yeah. that like there's this idea of like something starting to happen let's see it, what would happen if we just take it all the way to the end and see what that world looks like and so exactly. and it's, it's kind of you know I, it's a lot of the stuff I've noticed in marketing is if like take something and run all the way to the end of the line with it yeah. and see yeah. see what it looks like and if that's and if that's worth it then you can yeah. keep doing that um, so yeah I'll have to check out the science fiction section. <laughs> I don't know how big it is here in the library, but you yeah, know, yeah, I don't, I don't give know it a they, shot. Yeah, they might not be in a business school. They might not be pushing the science fiction uh, too hard, but I'll, I'll really, keep should. a lookout. Yeah, they, they definitely should. Um, so I guess what is how about uh, actual like journals and resources and stuff that yeah you know young marketers or new marketers should stay on top of mm. to make sure that mm. they're reading the the newest stuff. Um, I mean, you know the the, the Again, might might seem a little bit out of what you would expect, uh, but maybe that's what you're looking for. Who knows? <laughs> um, I would say you know, newspapers actually. Um. So so I just I mean I read the Economist as well and, and and other magazines, but really just to stay on top of things that are happening, it's frankly reading the news, uh -huh. and it might sound kind of boring, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it's not you know typical business stuff, uh, but actually. It, it gives you an edge, you know, mm -hmm. it gives you an edge in many ways. It gives you an edge in conversations with people. So, you know, you actually know what's happening somewhere because of that. People think, you know, what's happening in all kinds of things. So you, you yeah. all of a sudden are perceived to be more competent. So if you go back to that interview example you gave, right? So if you're up to date with the latest developments in, um, I don't know, what's happening in the U.S. at the moment, for instance, and you're at a mm -hmm. job interview, you know, it, the informal chit-chat is all of a sudden a lot more, oh, this guy actually knows his stuff. Uh, right. So already on that level, it really helps. Beyond that, the more uh, established kind of business press, uh, I very much enjoy reading uh, Harvard Business Review. Mm -hmm. So that, that doesn't always cover marketing, uh, but whatever they cover, they do it well. And when they do cover marketing, they do it well. Uh, I enjoy reading The Economist. Um, beyond yeah then then again mm -hmm. I get the uh, first thing that comes to mind is like the New Yorker but that's already broader again so yeah so just more staying on top of the actual the like what's happening in the world because that's going to inform how yeah. you know um, what things you you use like like I think I don't remember if it was in your class but we talked about using uh things that had just happened with you know social media and twitter right. and stuff now you can jump on something right yeah. away so a brand can you know if something just happened i think we talked about an example at the super bowl where the power went out and then <laughs> the oreos, the oreos yeah. jumped on that and, and tweeted about it yeah. so that's yeah i think i guess it's just about staying staying in the know well and and, and to take that a little bit to the extreme maybe but really uh, if there's any kind of trend i see in terms of marketing 
uh, marketing is becoming more and more um, the the sort of communicator of the company. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, marketing and PR are blending incredibly. So um, and that's again because of the digital. So marketing is more and more indeed staying on top of what are the what are the current events, what are people talking about, what is happening in the world, and can we as a company say something about that? Do we have a voice there or not? Right. You know, mm-hmm. fine. But you first need to know about it yeah. to actually know what to say or what not to say. Um, so yeah, I mean, when when there was the the the, the legislation of the uh, of gay marriage in the in the U.S., there mm-hmm. were all these brands, uh, some. You know, shamefully promoting uh, that that all of a sudden they were all into rainbow colors as well, uh, and yeah, consumers consumers know. Okay, sometimes yeah. they accept it because yes, this fits that brand. Yeah. Uh, and in that case, yes, as a brand, you should be there and you should be saying stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you should steer away from it because you have nothing to say there. You don't belong in that conversation. Right. To know where you belong and where not, you first need to know what's going on. Cool. All right. So I think we'll wrap up there because I don't want to keep you too long. But that was a good, good first one. Thank you for coming in and and sitting in the tiny windowless room. It's good fun. I mean, I don't get I don't get the chance to talk at length. Well, you know, I lecture, but (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So this is good. Yeah. Yeah, Cool. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll get some more professors in here, and we can use this as a as a calling card to them to try and try and get some more to come in and talk about their stuff. Cool, thank you.